Okay, ladies and gentlemen, the episode 88 upon us. It's been a goddamn good week so far. Let's get that posture cranked up. Grab yourself a beverage. Let's have a good fucking time, huh? Okay, good. Episode 88, sponsored by patreon.com slash redhawkacademy. I just did a 20-minute vlog of just my full Monday yesterday. The guys are loving it. And then um, this April, I've put a bunch of stuff up there. There's like probably 10 different posts and giveaways, memorabilia giveaways, all sorts of stuff. So if you want to support, patreon.com slash redhawkacademy. Also hit that subscribe button if you haven't. Okay, I'm here with my buddy, uh, Stuart Cooper. Stuart came on the pod on the Timbo Sugar Show back when we were doing it in my bedroom back in the day and still Stuart's videos still when I need to have a good day training and I'm, I'm I want to go in there and fucking train hard I always put on one of his um his ADCC highlights I mean they're the fucking best so check out his page just recently got a uh, 100k subs on huh, Stuart yep just finally reached 100,000 subscribers fuck yeah so you've been traveling the world doing different documentaries doing all sorts of shit huh yeah, I think I started traveling, it was 2011. So I started jiu-jitsu, I think, to end of 2008. Um, and then I pretty much started training full-time right away. It, something just clicked in me with jiu-jitsu. And then it was when I was a blue belt, my left arm had an accident in training one day. It got uh, completely dislocated. My arm went backwards, like this arm, all the way back. You got arm barred? Um, no, actually, he was taking someone's back, and I don't think I had the hooks in, and he was shaking me, he went to kind of shake me off the front like by tripoding. I went to post my arm, and I, it was just kind of a freak angle, and I just fell forwards, and my arm collapsed. Oh. But that was a blessing in disguise because that um, I couldn't train, I couldn't work or do anything. I just left university. I had no idea what I'm going to do in life. You know, I wanted to pursue something in jiu-jitsu, and then... I picked up the video camera, started filming training, filming highlights of tournaments, and next thing you know, I'm actually like filming weddings, and that's how I kind of self-taught, you know, how to make films and how to edit, and then... So initially, you were going to, to the university? Yeah, I went to um, university to do art, a degree in art at first, but then I dropped out after a year, because doing a degree in art and design, it's like, what does that really lead on to, like becoming an art teacher or an artist? Um, I was never very uh, like an academic person and then I actually did a foundation course in multimedia and that led on to a degree in kind of it was called content creation for broadcast media so I, did, I thought this course would teach you how to make stuff but it was all like theory based so I left the university even more confused. So you did your generals, and then you decided art, and then you're just like spending a bunch of money that you don't need to spend, and then you you started jujitsu in 2008. So you were, were you in college at that point? Yeah, it was just when um, I finished university. I saw UFC on the TV, and then I instantly wanted to you know uh, I've always been interested in doing a martial art. Um, but after I saw UFC, UFC and TV, I asked a few people what is it, and they said that's mixed martial arts. So I went down to my first. MMA session in London just as I was graduating. And then you decided like, okay, I'm going to travel a little bit, shoot some documentaries and train jiu-jitsu full-time. How are you supplementing yourself with money at that time? Um, so I saved up when I, I became a wedding videographer. So I saved up a lot of money with the intention to go to Brazil. And actually I thought I was going to go to Brazil and like live there. You know, I never come back. Uh, I was only there for about three or four months. Um, so, but I was actually, I saved up some money, but sponsors you know just getting sponsor logos at the beginning and the end of a video mm. um so that, that that kind of thing helped but i was never it was it was tough there was a lot of times i was sleeping on gym floors and sleeping on people's couches you know but i kind of enjoyed it you know it was a good experience 
Yeah, for sure. And then you get around those Brazilians and the way they just talk about jujitsu and it's really like a part of their lives. That's what kind of motivated me to really get serious about jujitsu is hanging out with a bunch of Brazilians that are just passionate about each position and they just talk so technically and there's just so much that goes into actual jujitsu compared to a lot of gyms in America. And it kind of got me hooked on it too. Yeah. So who are some of the best guys you've ever trained with? You were telling me, we, we trained yesterday a little bit, and when you got on my back, I was like, holy fuck, the only person I felt that strong on my back before is Hulk Barboza. Yeah, yeah. Is he one of the best guys you've trained with? He, he is, definitely. I trained with him for probably a good two weeks. He came out to Thailand when I was uh, the jiu-jitsu coach at Tiger Muay Thai. Um, he was preparing for a super fight against uh, Fabrice Verdum. So he came to Tiger Muay Thai, trained with us every day, twice a day for two weeks. So and he's back, a monster. That was back yeah. when he was probably 220-ish. Uh, actually, he was quite, he was, I think he was a bit lighter than me at the time. I'm about 90 kilograms. So he, I think he was about 89, 90 at the time. Yeah. I mean, he's a fucking. Yeah, he's not that tall. He's like 5'9", but he's just, you know. So how, how long did you teach at uh, Tiger Muay Thai? You were, so were you training there when Peter was training there? Yep. So I first went out there in 2000. I left Brazil and then I was traveling around America just doing video stuff. And then I moved out to Thailand in 2012. And very quickly, I became the assistant jiu-jitsu coach. I was a purple belt at the time. So I was like teaching the evening classes for a few years, but then I left Thailand. I was going all around the world. And then I ended up back, uh, I ended up getting a job at um, Evolve MMA in Singapore. I was teaching there for a year. And then I became the head jiu-jitsu coach of Tiger Muay Thai. I think that was 2017 and 2018. So it was probably pretty sweet down yeah. there. I mean, with the beach, uh, the Thai, oh, it was a, it was the a Thai good life, women. Yeah. How come you decided to leave? Um, actually, the, the main reason was actually, there's a few reasons. Because it was, it was a good life. My life was, I, I just had to teach the, it was 8.30 to 11.30 a.m. every day. That's and it. my day is free. Obviously, I would go back and train in the evening. Mm-hmm. And it's a good life in Thailand. But I kept, um, you've probably heard about the super staff in Thailand. No, I never heard of it. It's, um, so I think I got 10 staph infections. In 12. So I was on antibiotics for 10 months out of the 12. And these antibiotics just messed up my stomach. I'm now actually on the same medication that Gordon Ryan's on, that Dexalent, because it messed up my stomach that much. It's getting better, but um, yeah, that was one of the reasons. And plus the- Super um, staff though. So that's yeah. just like, it's just so hot and humid there. It's just hard to get rid of that shit. Yeah, I think it's because of the turnover of people. So a lot of tourists train there. And they might not know what staff is and they don't understand, you know, that you've got to wash your feet, you know, before you step on the mats. And the toilets at Tiger Muay Thai, at the time, I'm not sure if they still are, were right next to the outdoor matted area. And they just go to the toilet barefoot and then they just, the amount of people I saw, they just don't wash their feet. Just walk back on the mats and then it's spreading bacteria everywhere. And then I'm teaching my class, I'm rolling around in it, so... Staph infections were going everywhere. What was the worst you've had it? Because I've had it on my fucking like eye before, but I think it was more impentigo and it like grew grew pretty quick. And then one time I had it in my knee and it started streaking up my leg and I got rid of it. What was the worst that happened to you? Um, I actually have a photograph of it on my phone, but it was, there's a little scar here, but that was a hole in my leg. I was preparing for a super fight in Taiwan at the time. And I got a staph infection on my shin and I didn't want to take the antibiotics because it can weaken you. It zaps your energy. So I thought maybe I can not take them and do the super fight and take them right after. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, so I, I went a few days and my shin just got bigger and bigger. It's like a half circle sticking out my oh. shin. Then I had to go in for an IV antibiotic and then I had to drop out the super fight. It was that bad. I was limping on my right leg. Because when that shit starts going, it starts yeah. fucking growing. And it goes fast as well. So yeah. that, that was pretty silly of me. If you get a staph infection, you've got to take the antibiotics right, right away. Because if, if that got too close to the bone, like people get things amputated sometimes. So is the cost of living in Thailand, like, it's pr- is it pretty cheap? Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people go out there. Like, um, PT Yan's always out there. Valentina, Volkanovsky at the time, he, was, he, he comes and goes. Brad Riddell. Because it's, it's, accommodation is cheap. You know, food is cheap. The training is awesome. Uh, you go to the beach. It's like, it's such a cool lifestyle. You know, if it's very easy to get distracted though. If you need a little release, uh, maybe a release at the the massage parlor. It's only ten dollars. Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> ten to fifteen, twenty dollars. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'd be hard to beat. Yeah, that'd be hard to beat. So, you when did you start doing the first documentary at ADCC? Um, the first one I ever did was 2011. I was, um, it was actually from the, when I dislocated my arm, 
I started filming these grappling tournaments and the promoter of it was called Jason Tan and he was um, friends with Braulio Esteema. So he was impressed in my video, video work. He put me in contact with Braulio and um, we started making the very first Road to ADCC uh, videos, film him prepare for Jacare. And then I actually, I didn't have permission to film 2011. I just did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just pretended like I was supposed to be there. Every yeah. time the people coming around looking to check your media passes, I just made sure I wasn't there. And then did you, after that one, kind of commit to be like, I'm going to be at every, every ADCC? Yeah, even 2013, I didn't have permission. I just flew there mm-hmm. and then just kind of, I don't know. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Right. And it turns out I'm the only person in the world now with that 2013 footage. Well, good quality stuff anyway. Damn. 2015, they actually allowed me. It was Budo videos at the time. Uh-huh. They allowed me to film. They were really cool about it. 2017, I wasn't there. I was in Singapore uh, teaching Evolve MMA. And then 2019... I got permission to film. And then last year, I did not. You didn't get permission to film last year? Nah, well, Fl- uh, Flow Grappling uh, yes. had the video rights, and they are very, very strict with who they allow. Uh, they didn't actually allow anyone last year, I don't think. Which Flow Grappling is awesome, and I'm thankful for those guys. But still, their documentaries of last year, yours were sweeter. I yeah, I love them. made a sweeter one. Yeah, I love the Flow. Flow Grappling do great stuff, and they, but I just wish they weren't so strict. I feel like if they allowed people like myself and other videographers to carry on doing what we're doing, we're just making the sport grow mm-hmm. even more. And then that's more money for them because the sport's growing. But as soon as you start putting everything behind a paywall, yeah, I know I think they should just be a little bit more relaxed with did you things. Did you watch most of the ADCC this last year? I did. I was. Uh, I actually went live. I was a spectator. Uh, but <laughs> actually you snuck downstairs anyway and got Matt side. <laughs> it's crazy with uh, just watching those young bucks like Mika Galvo and... and uh, Cade Rutolo and stuff. I'm like, Scary. these motherfuckers are 19 years old and in the finals against each other. So two yep. 19 year olds in the finals. I think that's going to just be a pretty normal thing coming up here. Yep. Now that now that most ki- a lot of kids are starting at four years it's a, old. It's a new breed, a new generation coming through. Yeah. yeah. So you, you start at four years old and then you're 19. It's like you've been training for 15 years already. So you're yep. already, a, already a master at the sport at 19. It's pretty sweet. So. Yeah, who's kind of your favorite guy to 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 watch right now? Mine's got to be those Rotolo brothers, dude. Yeah, the I love I love sweet. watching the Rotolos. I I actually love watching Gordon Ryan because I like watching how calm he is. Like he's never he never really looks stressed, does he? He just keeps calm the whole time, and I really enjoy watching him. Craig Jones, you know, the Rotolos. Yeah, watching watching Gordon, especially him and Felipe or, or whatever for the no time limit. I'm like, dude, that's fucking yeah. another level of shit. No time limit. Have you ever got to train with Gordon? Nope. Never, never. I met, met him yeah. briefly a couple of times, but not really. I can yeah. imagine when he gets a grip on you, then you're just, that's I've heard, grip. Yeah. Um, when I was training with Wagner Rocha uh, last year and I was asking him, what is it like? You know, cause he competed against Gordon and he said his grips are insanely strong. That's what it looks like. Especially yeah. with Nicky Rod, how he grabbed his leg, pulled it into fit 50. Yeah. Like it was nothing. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. I wonder, like, if IBJJF will keep trying to maybe make the rule set better, or how come you don't really compete IBJJF? Um, it's there's loads of hidden costs. You know, I'm, I'm not even registered as a black belt. I, uh, oh, yeah, really? For IBJJF, yeah, uh-huh. I still need to get my certificate. Um, but there's all these like, you know, there's the membership fee every year, and then there's like traveling there. But it's you could go all that way. There's all these different rules I don't particularly like. Yeah, and and you and I can see it being a little bit biased for people who yeah are Brazilian. possibly i mean i feel like yeah, a it costs bit. a lot of money to go to go to the nogi worlds like fly there hotel sign up and everything and then you could go there and then you could lose like a very close match where the ref was maybe biased to the other person i don't know i just i i, I really like the grappling industries tournaments because it's round robin when you go there you're going to get a lot of matches and it's more of a mixed level. Obviously, you go to the Nogi World's Black Belt Division, you're going to get the very best. Yeah. But the grappling industries, you get some tough matches when you go there. Fuck some yeah. easy ones, but there's some really tough ones. You know, I've had a few good ones in the last few years. I remember I fought Mac Danzig oh, sweet. <laughs> in Portland, I think it was like a year ago or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah with, yeah, with the IBGGF, you you book a flight, you do the membership every year, and you do the, you're doing everything, you're getting your hotel. It's pretty expensive. You're going to end up spending probably around 1200 bucks. Yep. Yep. Per per match. So the IBGF, they gotta just be stupid rich. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, they're now allowing heel hooks, aren't they? 
Yeah, they yeah. are at brown belt and black belt. Yeah. Which the is, one which is why nice. are they not allowing points for body triangle? Still, someone needs to step up and change this. World. I've always wondered that. Also, I've always wondered that. The best also. control body triangle. Yeah, which back. ADCC it's still four points. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I've always been curious about that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm hoping to get at least two of the ADCC opens in this year, and then the IBJJF's coming to Phoenix. I plan on doing that hopefully, and then compete as much as I can. It's it's hard when you're a the coach of a of a big program and then yeah. doing other shit and stuff. How much do you think teaching and stuff has made your jujitsu just get way better? It's it's made it, it so much better. Um, when I first started teaching, really at Tiger Muay Thai, I was like teaching the evening classes. Um, but then I went full time teaching in Singapore at Evolve MMA. I was teaching eight classes a day, six Damn. days a week, Sheesh. which is insane. There's a reason I left. <laughs> yeah, that's too much. It's almost it's almost like uh, when you're teaching it, then you you got to figure out how to put it out there with your mouth. It's yeah, al- it's almost like writing. If you don't, if you can't write down a thought, then you really don't kind of know what you're talking about. That's what they say. But it's yeah. similar to that, and you, I feel like you have to think of it on way deeper of a level because you want to make sure you're teaching your students the right stuff yep i mean when i first um started teaching full-time like right how do i escape the back and then i think sure i actually don't even know how to explain this uh-huh. so now it's just made me understand what i'm doing on a deeper level you know before i think john danaher spoke about this on joe rogan podcast most black belts um or when he got his team they were like their jiu-jitsu is more unconscious and his job is to make them conscious of what they're doing oh. so now like um i got to black belt without watching any instructionals or anything and yeah my, i couldn't really tell you how i would do the sweep or how i do the guard pass but since then i've been pretty much self-taught watching the danaher dvds the gary toner ones gordon ryan but going through them i'm I'm now seeing, understanding what I'm doing, uh-huh. and it's made me better at communicating to the students. Explain, it may, it's make, makes me explain better. Yeah, it's so nice too. I mean, just having, I mean, flow and BJJ fanatics. You can just find a world champion anywhere and just pick a position, and he'll explain it. What he's learned through it. Yep. It's, we're so yeah. lucky. In the this next day area, the next area I need to really focus on is fifty um, fifty. The one I just do not like that really? position. Yeah, I was see. I was figuring. I was like, oh, this motherfucker's no. I, I, I love um, inside saddle, mm-hmm. outside. I just don't like fifty fifty. Yeah, yeah. But it's because I've spent the less, the least time on that position. Ah. It's the one area. So if I could compete against people, you know what to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm working on it. Right. Is the fifty fifty? Just just need to get comfortable there. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. I've gotten a lot of help from Dequino in that position. And even him, even him in some of those footlock and entries and stuff, he's not super like technical in them, but he'll just give you a couple certain simple details that'll that'll change the whole thing for you. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah, he fought Eddie Cummings a couple times, like long time ago, and Eddie never got on his legs. Yeah, and I think they fought twice. Twice, and then the second time, and then Polaris, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it was the Polaris time where he blew his ACL out. Oh, he did. He did catch him. He didn't tap. Oh, right. And I just later, I, maybe he went home, he's like, fuck, one. my knee's fucked up. So. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. disappeared now, hasn't he, Eddie Cummings? I'm not yeah, sure I wonder what happened to him. I'm not sure. He left the Danaher death squad, and then after that, he just kind of went quiet. Maybe oh. just enjoying life. Yeah. So you're in Vancouver now running a program. About how many students are up there at that gym? With So I think the gym, it's uh, Diaz Combat Sports, um, owned by Ryan Diaz. I think the whole gym has 2,000 members. Fuck. Something like that. It's a lot. Um, but the jiu-jitsu program, um, I think maybe, I would I guess, 130, you know, something like that. And are you teaching how many hours a day now? Um, so I was doing daytime classes and evening classes, but going back and forth, back and forth. It was it was a lot. And now I want to, now I'm getting all these injuries. You know, I'm getting to my later 30s. I've realized that I don't just want to rely on jiu-jitsu. I teach you and I want to, like, I've got, you know, I want to go back into the video stuff. So now I just teach the evening classes. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning I teach. So uh, in the week, I teach the evening classes, Saturday morning, but I have the daytime to edit video content. Sweet and shooting and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I start to build up my channel again because it, it it's been quiet for a while. So you were kind of just taking a hiatus from it. Yeah, I just really got back. I just really wanted to um, yeah, live the jiu-jitsu lifestyle, like teaching and training nonstop. You know, I wanted to get as good as I could possibly be at jiu-jitsu for a while while I'm still young. Yeah. For sure. And I mean, and, and doing the YouTube, it's just fun. Just being, yeah. being creative. It's definitely a job. Sometimes can get stressful, but it's just fun knowing it's yours. It's yeah. your creativity doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I never intended for that to happen. It was just kind of, yeah, just kind of materialized over time. What was the first video on your channel that just like 
opt off? Um, it was definitely the Brawley with Steamer one, um, the Road to ADCC. I remember posting that one and it got something like 30,000 views. And I was like, wow, 30,000 people watched my video. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, I did a video with uh, Husamal Poharis to Kino in Brazil. And that one uh, got, I think, something like 400,000 views. Jeez. That was fun making that one. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel bad for that guy. I'm actually going to, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do another video with him. Uh, I have a friend uh, who lives in Brazil and he's friends with Takino and it's quite a sad story really because obviously people, you know, uh, doesn't have many fans, does he now? Because of like is holding he, on to submissions. Is he a little autistic? Uh, I'm not sure, but I don't think it, it's hard to, hard to know only he knows really, but um, the way it was explained to me when he walks, if you watch him when he walks out for his, uh, the UFC fights in the past, he'd be crying. He's scared. Damn. And I think when he grabs a hold, like he's got a lot of trauma. He was brought up on a farm and had a lot of poverty. And when he grabbed a hold of a leg, he just, I think he just kind of blacks out and just Rips the restaurant, they're like, yo, stop, stop. And he's just, fuck, just doesn't, yeah, who knows? Because I, I, I've met him a bunch of times. He seems super nice, you uh-huh. know, so. Yeah, I remember, I think, right, because I, I trained with Mike Pierce for a while. And he, Mike Pierce was Yeah, like, he ripped his leg off. And me. he just tore his fucking knee to shreds. And I'm not sure if he retired after that, but shortly after that. It just fucked him up bad. Yeah, but I've heard now Takino's in Brazil. He doesn't really like, you know. Um, it'd be good to do a video with him, like revisiting where he's at, you know, and give yeah. him, a, give maybe ask him, give him a, a chance to explain. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd yeah. be cool. So, uh, do you want any kids? I think about that, but I'm not sure where this planet's going. Yeah, <laughs> same with me. Yeah, that's why I'm like, mm, do I want to bring a kid into this world? Yeah, because is there there's a big kids program too at the there is huge the academy. Yeah, yeah, I get a lot of time with the kids here, just hanging out with them and stuff, and then I get to go back to my my pretty peaceful life. Yeah, so it's like, uh, but we definitely want kids eventually. Yeah, eventually, uh, it would be nice. But I've got two cats. They're my, they're my kids. You're a cat guy. <laughs> I'm a cat guy. <laughs> you do you do much uh, mar- marijuana or any drugs? I, I do a lot of marijuana. Too much actually. I'm trying to cut down. Oh, yeah. uh, I've really become a bit of a stoner recently. You smoke out of the pipe? Um, so I was just smoking marijuana for years, just smoking it, um, and then that started to make me cough a lot. You know, I, I just couldn't stop coughing. And then I recently, um, about six months ago, I switched to the vapes, but the oil cartridges, thinking that's healthier. It oh, you up. it's worse. Whoa. Like it really, I, it's not good for your lungs. So I recently stopped and uh, I've just ordered myself like a proper vaporizer. The which, one that actually just heats up the which bud. Which kind? Uh, the Pax Free. Oh, the Pax is nice. The yeah. Pax is nice. Dude, I got these vaporizers. This, I mean, it's called Stores and Bickle. It's like this German medical grade equipment for vaporizers and they'll last you 10 years. I have this thing called a volcano where it fills up the bag. Yeah, the volcano. I like that. But they also have a handheld one called the Mighty and you just get quality rips. I also had that Pax for a little bit. The Pax is good good for a little bit, yeah. but then it'll uh, it'll pucker out on you. Oh, really? How long? I, I probably used the Pax for what do you think, Mariah? 2 years? Year? Yeah, okay. probably 2 years. A little, a little while. Yeah. But then when you're ready to invest a little bit more, try the stores and bickles. You won't regret it. Yeah. I promise. I take you, a lot of edibles as well. Like I take edibles every day because I've got a lot of, I've got arthritis in my elbows, uh-huh. uh, my neck, I've got stenosis. So uh, I find that um, I'll take about nine milligram in the daytime and that just helps with relax my body and just nice. helps with the pain. And I don't even notice it now. I just kind of like, I got to give you some of the, the Timbo Sugar Show edibles. They are, oh, they're, they're, pretty quali- they're pretty quality. So I'll get you some after this. Yeah. You do alcohol much? Never, never. I can't even, when was the last time? I probably had, a, last time I had a drop of alcohol was, Probably a year ago, but um, it's not not my drug of choice. It never has been. Never really liked um, the feeling of it, and especially the feeling when you wake up the next day. Yeah, you just yeah. you just every sip, sip by sip, you just make yourself yeah. more retarded. In the summer, like a lot of us hang out on the beach, you know, in Vancouver, and everyone's drinking beer. But I much prefer to smoke a joint and do some microdoses. Yeah, nice. You know? I find it, yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good high. Yeah. Alcohol is just like, I think it's just one of the absolute worst things for you. But if you're, if it's once in a while and you're around a group of friends and you guys are going to make some good memories, I think it might be worth the, worth the toxicity maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while. Yeah. Once a week is not too bad. Yeah, for sure. But there's a Huberman podcast all about uh, the negative side effects of alcohol. Just how about it fucks you? Yeah, it fucks you. Yeah. Even even marijuana, actually. He put, actually tried to quit marijuana recently because of um, he says if you smoke marijuana more than twice a week, you are really impi- impacting your testosterone levels, severely impact your lungs. Oh. So, yeah, I used to think that uh, marijuana wasn't addictive and it's not, um, you know, 
this smoking it's not that bad for you but it's not great that <laughs> it is addictive that fucking shit's addictive dude. it's so addictive i mean especially when you're a stressed out person and the only way you don't get stressed and you can be in the moment is taking a puff yeah and everyone just you just want to take a puff every second of the day if you wake up and you get right out of bed and you take a fat dab to the dome piece every day it's probably not good for that you. That ain't good. No, it's just no. probably not. Yeah. I like limit it to, if I go to do a hot yoga class, I'll have a smoke just a little bit, hit the hit it a few times. It makes my body feel nice and loose. And I like doing it before jiu-jitsu. So I like doing it before yoga, before jiu-jitsu, and before bed. But that's what I do every day. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm always doing it. Yeah. What belt would you recommend would be good to be like, be okay to be like, oh, you can smoke a little bit and go in there and still have a good practice compared to... If you're a white belt, you don't even know any of the positions. Yeah, no, I wouldn't smoke. be good as a white belt. I think maybe purple or brown. Once you've once you've got the ability to flow, flow roll, you've got enough techniques where you can find another flow rolling partner and you can really just switch off and just yeah, feed off each other. Yeah, but also yeah. age as well. I, I actually think now it's not I think it'd be a good thing people didn't touch it until they're twenty five. Yeah. I started smoking around when I was fourteen. And I, I, I looking back, it definitely impacted my Your brain. My brain and just yeah, my performance at school. You know, I spent most of uh, high school, like, paranoid, sat in the back of the classroom. <laughs> Probably smoking some skunk Yeah, weed. super high, yeah. Me and my friends would go in the bush at lunchtime and just... Smoke the just just smoke a joint, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is a principles book I've been reading by Ray Dalio, and I recommend people uh, get this book. It's good. The first half's about business a little bit, and it gets a little bit boring, but then th through the second half of it, it's just this guy's got so much good advice for people. And uh, one part that kind of stuck out this morning was one of the most important decisions you can make is who you ask questions to. Make sure they're fully informed and believable. Find out who is responsible for whatever you are seeking to understand and then ask them. Listening to uninformed people is worse than having no answers at all. And I guess you're seeing it in jiu-jitsu a lot less but because there's a lot of good black belts out there now. But before, there just wasn't that many good black belts. Maybe they have a black belt and they've been training for three, four years and their, their professor or whoever just gave them out these belts. And now they don't have a good understanding of jiu-jitsu at all. And you start yeah. learning fucking terrible habits. I see it sometimes when people come here from other gyms. They come here as a brown belt, and all the blue belts here are just whooping their ass because they don't know how to get out of mount or they don't know how to escape the back, just simple stuff. Um, I think you got to be careful about that in jiu-jitsu, kind of who you're learning from. I guess yeah. depending on your goals, if you want to compete and you want to actually get good at jiu-jitsu. But if you're just doing it to get a sweat and just get a workout, then I guess it really wouldn't matter what do you think yeah no the new blue and purple belts they scare me more than the uh, old <laughs> school black good, belts bro. i mean i've done a uh, done quite a few tournaments uh over the last uh, couple of years just like grappling industries ones and i find that the the new blue and purple are tougher tougher yeah. matches because they're, they're learning the new ways they're learning different way of learning they're learning in the systems yes you know? for sure and i'm thankful enough to have got to Kino's curriculum on what when when to teach him what moves and uh and some some professors and teachers they want to belt you so quick and I don't know if it's because they want you to keep paying or they just feel like you deserve I don't I don't know but I see some they promote them so quick I see there's no nothing wrong with a blue belt being a blue belt for two yeah. years plus I think it's yeah. taken longer to get a blue belt now because the standards have changed I tell everyone when two, I got my black belt 2015 Looking back at what I knew, the tennis news, that's like a decent blue belt, maybe uh -huh. a purple belt of today's standards. Yeah. You know, because I look back, I did not, there's so much I didn't know. Yeah. And, and a lot of it probably has to do, I mean, a lot with the internet and just yep. the sport evolving so much. Yep. I think it is. Yeah. Just the way Jiu Jitsu is growing and social media, everyone's posting like reels and highlights on Instagram now. And like, uh, you'll see some like Lachlan Giles do that backside 50 50 entry from 2019 is break videos breakdown videos of it the very next day and people yeah. are learning it like instantly like uh, it's um yeah it's just accelerating the sport so fast and it's scary to think like each every two years i'm, I'm seeing it the tri adcc trials they're just gonna get harder and harder to win yeah you win those trials and <sighs> that's legit out there the best yeah. for sure for sure yeah, but that was good i thought listening to uninformed people is worse than having no answers at all because there's jabronis out there, a lot of jabronis out there that'll say some shit and you'll just think. They'll say it confidently too, so you're just not, you're like, all right, it must be true. I thought that was good. Okay, another one that popped up. is says, one way to become luckier is just show up consistently. That's the truth in jiu-jitsu, isn't it? Yep, long-term consistency. That is the key. 
It really is. And no matter how good of an athlete you are, but if you just show up and it, a big one too is just when you show up, you're there. You're there yeah. on the mats and you're focusing on what your instructor's saying. You're focusing on your drilling and you're focusing on your roles. Not just blah, blah, blah. All right, now we're drilling. Now it's time to talk to my partner about random shit. Yeah. That's important too, along with showing up, I'd say. When people trust that you'll do what you say when you say it, not only will they want to work with you, but they'll want you to be successful. You can't build anything mean meaningful when you show up inconsistently. And that's the truth, too, for a coach. When the guy's coming in, he comes in once a month. It's like, I have all these other guys that are coming in five times a week that I'm going to focus on because yep. they're so there. I thought yep. that was good. And that because we've been, we've been with you every day. You're, you're Every day, you're like, we're working on what we did you know, the day before or the week before, and then the person that comes once a month, like, oh, shit, what are we doing? Yeah. I've been working on this for a month. <laughs> yeah, you just shrimp. Just shrimp the rest <laughs> of the fucking class. In the short term, <laughs> you're as good as your intensity. In the long term, you're only as good as your consistency. I thought that was good. thought that was good. So uh, we were watching a little bit of Kill Tony. It's this uh, comedy show from last night. And Brian Redband, he said... He brought up this place called rubmaps.com. Rubmaps. Yes. And in Glendale, Arizona, holy shit, I checked it out. And there's over, a, probably over 60 rub places. Rub and tugs. I think, th I think so. <laughs> I think so. And I think we should maybe give one a call and see what kind of services they offer here. Thailand, are everywhere. Are they really? <laughs> everywhere. That's just how you make money? I think it's, yeah, it's one of the main things over there. It's funny because uh, I think it's illegal, but it's just everywhere. Like betting is illegal in Thailand, but everyone oh. bets. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, in Dubai, betting was like completely illegal. Like you can't do that. But there at this uh, place, we, this motel we stayed at, it was full of hookers. <laughs> it was full of them, and that's legal there. And they just kind of turned their head to that. Yeah, it's legal in Singapore as well. So oh, prostitution really? is illegal in Thailand. But it's everywhere. And in Singapore, it's legal. Dang. All right, well, let's give this a call. Let's see what these guys have to say here. Is that working, Jay? I don't know why I can't hear it on my end. Maybe that one got raided and shut down. Maybe we'll call the next one. <laughs> I actually did see one, one a parlor two blocks from here they had all the people on the street the cops had the people on the street and the asian ladies were out there like ah so would your girl get mad if you got a rub and tug probably she would say that i think she would say that's your uh <laughs> she would say she owns that wiener i think so yeah all right here we go hello can you hello um do you offer a massage yeah uh, okay, and do you all offer ultimate relief? A hundred percent satisfaction guaranteed. Body massage, yeah. Okay, do you guys yeah, have a table shower? Do you guys uh. table shower? So you guys do tug tugs? Yeah, it's okay. Good massage for you. Okay. Okay, we come in and do tug tug. Okay, okay, see you. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. So that, there you have it. That is a place you can go do it right there, Peoria. So they must not want to talk about it. I think it's on the down low. Yeah, I wonder if it is. And I wonder if these girls are willingly trying to work there or if they're part of some ring, sex ring. Hmm. Hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah, maybe they're there to make money. Maybe they're... Maybe they're there because their their man's making them be there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But if they're wanting to be there, there's no reason it shouldn't be uh, legal, in my opinion. You can get your whole body massaged, every muscle on your body. But if they touch that certain muscle, then it's a sin. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't fucking know. All right, what do we got here? We got some UFC upcoming. We got Song Yadong versus Ricky Simone. Good scrap there. I don't know who's going to win it. Five rounders. I wouldn't be surprised if Ricky Simone won. I I was watching that kid in Portland as an amateur when I was training there, and he is fucking slick. He's, he was slick at jiu-jitsu, and that, I think that was back when he was a teenager. Uh, so that should be a good match. And then we got UFC 288. We, we leave to New Jersey May 6th, and I'm looking forward to it. I've been – Aljamain and Henry, they've been releasing – That's a good one. They've been releasing a lot of stuff on their channel, a lot of them training. 
So there's going to be tons of footage because Sugar's fighting guaranteed the winner of that. So we're going to fight one of those guys. And then part of me thinks when Henry Cejudo was fighting Dominic Cruz, he was letting go of some nice, clean combos on the feet. And he could catch Aljamain Sterling. But Henry also in his video talking about, God, talking to his coach, I need more sparring. I feel like he's not sparring that hard. Mm. And if and he's like, I invented the play sparring. It's like, no, you didn't, Henry. You didn't invent the play sparring. But if all you're doing is play sparring and your last fight was three years ago and now you're going to get in front of a sold-out crowd, there's a good chance he might gas out. But I'm fucking hoping he wins. And not only hoping he, I, not only hoping he wins because we don't want to fight Aljo, we're going to end up fighting both of them probably. But Henry's just got all these accolades, and I was hoping that we could fight him first uh, yeah. after the long layoff. But I'm, I'm really curious who's going to win that fight. I'm really curious. Yeah, I mean, Aljo's going to be a lot bigger. Yeah. A lot bigger. And in Aljo's fights, I was watching a lot of his fights, the only where, place he's really scoring on guys and taking them down uh, is against the fence. Yeah. And I'm sure Henry's coaches know that. So if they can keep him in the middle, maybe Aljo won't be able to take him down. But also the pace that Aljo brings is interesting. But I watched Peter versus Aljo one, and Peter was beating the fuck out of Aljo. He was, yeah. He was fucking him up, dude. In every position, in wrestling, in the clinch, in the open, like he was making Aljo look bad. And after the second round, and maybe it was because of the, the title fight and it was this big thing, after the second round, Aljo was fucking cooked. He couldn't even respond to his coach. Yeah, was that, that he, I think he had a neck problem, right, in the first one, and it affected was his it? performance. Yeah, I think that's what it, what he put it down to anyway. And I'm sure that knee put that neck into another level. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, because so, the rematch, that was that was a good fight, the rematch. So, so Peter, he's a he seems like a pretty cool guy. Does he he train hard? Yeah, he does. He yeah, he used to come to my jujitsu classes like pretty much every morning at Tiger Muay Thai, and he is a he's a he's a hard worker. That motherfucker's a, a savage, dude. He's he's so much smaller than me, but he's so fucking tough. Really, and, uh, very like stoic. Like every morning, just looks at me, coach, what's up? You know, <laughs> take, coach, let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what's going to go on. With, who they're going to give Peter next? He's just coming off a loss, isn't he? I didn't see that one. It was versus Mirab. Yeah, it's yeah. just fucking Mirab. I missed it. Mirab was such a spaz, like such a spazzy pace for five rounds, but he was able to keep it up, yeah. which is fucking insane. Uh, and then, so Henry Cejudo, if I had to bet right now, it's just so hard to say because it's like Henry's been out for three years. He's never fought anyone like Aljo who's going to force some grappling. That could tire out Henry more than he thinks mm -hmm. it is. Um, if I had to bet right now, I'd bet Aljo is going to win. But there's a good chance that Henry could clip him. If Aljo can get his back, I think he's got a good chance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think if it hits the mat, he's good. He's going to have yeah. a good chance. And then we got Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns. Five-rounder. Such a sick fight. Both cool dudes. Both badass dudes. Bilal, sometimes I'm curious the game plan he's going to have. Is he going to come ha come out and bounce side to side kind of run away from Gilbert Burns and peck at him, or is he going to be the one stalking him down? I don't know. I can't really pick in that fight. But Gilbert Burns, just getting done with Masvidal, I wouldn't be surprised if Gilbert Burns beat him. Five-round co-made event, which will be cool. So Dariush and uh, Oliviera, that's going to be a good one. That's going to be a good that's one. A real, that's in Vancouver, actually. Oh, be, yeah, they, they yeah. moved it to Vancouver. Cool. And then we got Kron Gracie Charles Jourdain on that card. I'm, I'm oh, curious how, back. Yeah, I'm curious how he comes back. His last fight was Cub Swanson, I believe. Yeah, and Cub Swanson battered him pretty pretty bad. But he, he didn't go away, did he? He kept coming forward. Yeah. Yeah, super flat-footed, kind of waiting for that person to make a stake. If that motherfucker grabs a hold of you, it's probably yeah. probably over. Yeah. So I'd like to see Kron Gracie get back. Uh, I'd love to see Kron Gracie versus Ryan Hall. That would be sweet. That would be awesome. But you know when you get two really good grapplers in MMA and then they stand up with each other? Shitty strike. That's not what we're going to see. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I uh, we hit up Kron because I was in Bozeman. I wanted to train with him, but he didn't hit me back. But one of his students said he just trains in the night. Like he gets there at 11, 11 p.m. and trains into the a.m. Oh. And then just sleeps. That's and, different. And trains late. Maybe he's just... Doing that to get acclimated in New York. I think he's in Montana now. Yeah, he is. Both. Yeah, and he's really into his hunting. Oh, really? He hunts. Yeah. 
Yeah, all the stuff on him. You ever done any documentaries on him? I did years ago, actually. I did, um, I went, I think it was like maybe 2013. Um, yeah, he did the ADCC in China and he, like he submitted everybody. It was like an incredible performance and I got pretty much most of the footage. That was the year that uh, where he fought Atovia Souza in the final and Hickson's at the side making chicken noises. <laughs> Colin, because uh, Otavio wasn't engaging? Yeah, he was just like not engaged, just pushing him away and slapping him on the head. And um, So I got that footage and then I went to California, I went to Kron's gym, did an interview and got him talking about the matches and then I put that video out of uh, Kron Gracie looking back at his match with Gary Tonin. And that one's had like well over a million views now. I actually edited that together during the lockdown. And then Dana White saw that video and sh shared it on his Instagram. Oh, sweet. But he actually ripped my video off my YouTube channel, uploaded it on his Instagram, and it got millions of views. I'm like, fuck, if you just shared my video, I would have got like millions of views on YouTube. That's a lot of money. Yeah, you know? fuck yeah. But I'm not going to get mad at Uncle Dana. Yeah, right. It's promotion, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that Cron Gracie Gary Tonin match. Was that, what a fucking sick That was match. a wild one. He's had matches like that before. I was watching him versus Leandro Lowe in, I think, 2012 at the, in the Gi World Championships. And he was down by like six points, ended up coming back and smoking him by a bunch of points. So he's had those comebacks before, but that was a sick match, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's just cool to watch because I like he's just, it's almost like he's just such basic fundamental jujitsu just done really well. Yeah, a lot of people say it's like the greatest ADCC match of all time. Oh, damn. It's definitely up there. Yeah. Top five for sure. Yeah, the video you edited of that breakdown was freaking sweet. Yeah, I've done two videos of that same match. I did one of Kron breaking it down, and then I did another one of Joe Rogan and Eddie Bravo on the podcast talking about what happened. Oh, so there's like two versions of it. So I might do a third version, get Gary Tone and talk yeah. about that match, what was going through his head. Damn, that's a good idea. Know? That's a good idea. So it's been revealed that UFC Hall of Famer Stefan Bonner died of accidental fentanyl overdose. Fentanyl. Holy smokes. Yeah, that's the big one now, isn't it? It's based um, so in so many things. That's the problem in Vancouver, fentanyl. Oh, man. So he must have been doing some drugs that he was getting illegally, maybe? How else would it be? Yeah. Accidental fentanyl. Because he, he barely did anything. It's, it was like 50 times stronger than morphine, fentanyl. It's just <laughs> like a few like little grains. How the hell does that shit get leaked out? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? That's hard to get off as well. Opi opiates. Opiates, you ever been hooked? Yep. Yeah, I was. I've, I'm not sure we spoke about it on podcast last time. Maybe we didn't. We spoke about ayahuasca, but I got hooked on opiates when I was like 20. What kind of oxys? No, it was a tramadol. Yeah, you just buy those things over the counter in Thailand. I was and popping you, those things like candy and all the just, time. What do you feel like? You just get numb and you just feel um, but At first, I just I remember the first time I tried one, I just took one 50 milligram tramadol and it just messed me up. It just makes you feel really high and like, I don't know, it just makes you feel very euphoric. Oh. And then, but I, at the time, I was just, you know, I was young, didn't really know um, about the dangers, didn't know anything about addiction. And I'm like, t popping these things because they're so cheap. How much? It was 50 baht for a pack of 10. So that's like a couple of dollars. Oh. So then one became two, two became three, three became four. I mean, at one point, I remember wake up in the morning and taking 20 at once. And slugging them down with an iced coffee just to get my day going. Holy! So fuck. like that's it, it, was that first thing. Yep, I would. Do, it got to the point a few years down the line. It, it made me feel good at first, but then it like it, it starts to turn on you. Your poor gut. Oh, dude, it messed me up. I lost, I went from two hundred pounds to one hundred and fifty five pounds at one point, and I didn't oh. even realize. I remember I was traveling around America, and I stopped training as much, and I was like, I was known as like a good tough brown belt at the time, and then all of a sudden I went from like tough brown belt giving black belts you know hard time to white belts and blue belts were just tapping me just weak. i was just weak and just um you know my my cognitive function had gone as well i remember going back to thailand i didn't see everyone for six months and everyone looked at me like dude what the fuck happened to you my wife and went you're like you're skinny and i was like i didn't realize how much weight had lost so um getting off those things was awful it took me a year to uh, taper down. So when did, when did you, just one day you decided, hey, I got to stop? It was um, actually because I had a, pr a pretty close call. Um, I actually remember calling my folks and actually saying, hey, look, I've got a problem here. I'm hooked on painkillers. And my mom was like, I've always been a very, like, you know, had a healthy mindset really into training and stuff. And my mom was confused. Like, How did this happen? And I just fucked up, you know, and then I've, <laughs> I've gone so far down this road. It's gonna, I need help, you know. So um, moved back to England and... Yeah, it took me yeah about 
14 months to slowly taper down. So stayed with your parents? Stayed with my folks, stayed with your yeah. Parents, and then did you That was just... it, yeah. When I went back, to, I flew back to England and then I run out. I was actually hooked on diazepam and tramadol at the same time. What's the diazepam? Uh, it's kind of like a Xanax. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Same, same thing, a benzodiazepam. They're harder to get off of opiates. So I went back to England. I didn't have any with me. And then actually my mom and dad were out one morning. They came back and I had had a seizure. Ooh. And I'd fell face down and it was, a, you know, just you know, completely unconscious. They came back. My mom actually said she thought I was gone. Uh, but that was the wake-up call. When I woke up and this paramedic stood over me, I had no idea how I got there. That was like, right, I need to, if I don't beat this, I'm not going to be here for very long. So that's wow. when I went to, uh, I tapered down slowly. And then I did ayahuasca. Once it was clean, I was three months clean. And that's when I went to do ayahuasca, um, which just, I don't know how, what the science is, how that shit works, but it fucking works. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Paul Check, a guy, he's like this holistic nutritionist. Sean was asking him at one point, his brother had a meth problem, bad meth problem. And he just asked Paul, like, what is there anything that'll just get through to him? And he's like, just sit with your brother and you don't need to do it, but give your brother five grams of mushrooms. Have him do like a heroic dose of, yeah. dose of mushrooms. Possibly could get him, get him over the hump. But that's crazy that the psychedelics... Just yeah, so there's ones like ayahuasca and uh, LSD, mushrooms. They can give you an experience where it shows you what the fuck you're doing wrong, but it's not going to, like, help you with the withdrawal. It's not going to reset your receptors. But if I had known about Ibogaine at the time, I would have, like, instead of going for a year, the most miserable withdrawal you can imagine, I was going through two types of drug withdrawal at once. But there's actually another psychedelic out there called Ibogaine, and it's illegal. And it cleans out the opiate receptors and the serotonin receptors, the dopamine receptors. It resets them all. So you will have zero withdrawal from opiates, but it's illegal. So Wow. I wonder why it's illegal. Yeah, for real. So when you were having those withdrawals, you would just be sweating and you would just have oh, anxiety? Yeah. Anxiety through the roof. You can't even, it's um, just no sleep. So the benzos, like, they actually make you sleep. So when you stop, when you taper down, you're not taking as much, you don't sleep. So for me, it was about three or four months. I was getting like one, two hours sleep a night. And that was just messing with my head. Yeah. I actually just went back to England, went offline and just focused on getting better for a year. And I just kind of didn't really see anybody, you know, because I wasn't really in it. I wasn't in the best of moods to be talking <laughs> with people. Yeah. So it's probably, I mean, I wonder if it's really bad in Thailand that you can just go and buy it. Because here it makes it a little harder. Then you just yeah. probably go to heroin though. Yeah, but then there's that argument like <clears throat> in Canada now, and um, I think it's in Spain and Portugal, <clears throat> it's all decriminalized, and you can actually just go in and buy it over the counter. And somehow that works. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what how, how it works exactly, but they're doing that in Vancouver now, hmm. decriminalizing everything. Nice. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it was so easy to get. <laughs> yeah. So you just but I think it. the problem is with overdoses, if it's... Um, if it's really hard to get when you run out and you go a few days without any, then you finally get your hands on some and then you take, because if you are an opiate addict, your tolerance is really high and then you don't have any for two days, you go through two days withdrawals, your tolerance will lower. But then when you finally get your hands on some, you take a huge amount because you're that desperate. Mm -hmm. That's when you overdose and die. But if you always have your hands on a constant supply, you're not going to you know, more is more likely to overdose. So the oh. deaths actually decrease huh. by allowing people to have it. I think that's the argument. That's interesting. So yeah. you, you eat a pretty good uh, diet now and got your sleep dialed in pretty good now? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty like, um, I like to get up, you know, probably around eight, sometimes a bit earlier. Go to Try and go to bed at the same time. Try and have a routine, you know. What kind of foods you been doing? Do you on a certain diet or? Um, I've had to be... Um, really clean recently because I was on this medication called Lansaprazole and um that's like a ppi because i have like acid reflux gastroesophagus reflux disease so i've always had to be very you know i can't really drink um like that's one of the reasons i can't have alcohol i have to be careful when i drink coffee um not eat you know a few hours before bed because i'll get like nausea and like the food will like it won't digest properly but now i'm on this medication called dexalent uh, which is a very the strongest ppi there is mm -hmm. so i have to take that just in order to eat Oh, and so then, now I'm trying to change my diet because I'm, <clears throat> I'm becoming like pretty much my body's relying on this Dexalent pill now. You know? And if you ate like shit with that pill, it'd probably fuck it up. Uh, actually, when I take that pill, I won't even notice anything. But um, my old medication, I would, it just stopped working. So if I was to eat a big pizza, mm -hmm. 
and fries, I would just, I'd be suffering for days. Oh, days. Damn, that's crazy. So does your girl like to eat pretty healthy with you too? Yeah, she's really clean, very healthy. So that helps. Yeah. So now I like to wake up in the morning and have like a green smoothie or some kind of like protein smoothie. And then I, just, I, I kind of eat light throughout the day. Loads of like, you know, fruit, bananas, and nuts then, and stuff. And then I eat quite a big meal at the end of the day. What kind of like uh, meat? rice type yeah yeah i like i love sushi but then i've like just chicken rice vegetables so yeah pretty healthy pretty basic stuff because yeah. in vancouver there's probably a lot of good healthy places to eat yes yeah, so loads it's really good to uh, it's very easy to eat healthy in vancouver nice. i love uh, i go into gluten-free pizzas now actually quite i actually prefer it they're pretty fucking good yeah and I, I feel better i don't feel as tired i don't have that food coma afterwards mm-hmm. maybe tomorrow what are you doing tomorrow uh no plans no plans Maybe tomorrow around noon, just me and you could come in and just do a handful of rounds. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And then Friday, we'll have some hard training at 10.30. Yep. Uh, There'll be a bunch of good guys, so we'll be able to get some good training then. We should do that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to get, I'm not sure if Sean's going to be training this week. It'd be good to get some footage of him training. If not, his back is hurt, right? We can do that next time I come back. He's going to come and beat up up our little buddy here at 10.30. So we'll probably do some mitts and get a little workout with him. At that time. Yeah. So you're going to do a little a little kind of short story doc on him? Yeah, yeah. We did a great interview yesterday. It was about an hour long. You know? And I think it's the, the interview I did, uh, it, he, it was it's different to like an ESPN interview. Yeah. Know? I was actually asking him some of the things you asked me, like, what's your, how do you like to, uh, do you like to smoke and roll jiu-jitsu? Or are you a bit more disciplined? And you know, yeah, he, every, He's very, very disciplined with the marijuana, actually. Yeah. yeah. Everyone uh, looks at him like he's dumb, but he's... He's got it, some he's, intelligence too. Yeah, tool. yeah. After speaking with him for an hour yesterday, it's easy to see why he's in the, the position he is in now. Yeah, like very, like uh, very wise. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot had to do it when we first moved down here. I got him hooked on just reading and, yeah. and reading sports psychology books and like what kind of mindset you need to be a champion. And he was reading those at a young age, teenager, yep. and it just kind of. I mean, he's yep. super fucking. It's these little things that make a difference, you know. Like just yesterday, he was telling me that he doesn't look at his phone for an hour. He likes to go outside and feed his chickens first thing in the morning. Um, and yeah, he has, he's very particular about getting up at the same time, going to the bed at the same time. He's really into his recovery. Because I was asking him, what, what are the ingredients to be a world champion? And it is long term consistency, but it's all these other little things you do on top as well. Like Valentina Shevchenko and Alex Volkanovsky, it's easy to see why they are in the position they are now. They're champions because. You know, they were back at Tiger Muay Thai all those years ago when I was there, and they were the hardest workers there. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that <clears throat> were not going out partying, oh, you know. Yeah. God damn it. It's fucking easy, too, when you start becoming a little bit of a In star Thailand, it's money. so easy to is get distracted. Is there cool clubs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Pat- the party town is Patong. That's where people go. Party town. Yeah. $10 hookers. Ladyboys. <laughs> you gotta be careful, huh? You gotta be careful. Because there'll be some cute ones. Oh, It's hard to tell. <laughs> start questioning shit. Yep. <laughs> I think Craig Jones is out there now enjoying that. <laughs> oh, fuck, I bet. I bet. So, all right, Stuart, thanks for coming on again, brother. Oh, thank you. That was a hell of a pod. Our cameras are piece of shit cameras. We can't even go over an hour because they overheat. So we're looking to get new cameras, ladies and gentlemen, and so then we can go a little bit longer pods. So uh, hit the like and subscribe button if you enjoyed, and give Stuart a follow. Love you guys. See you later. Bye-bye.